Well, some of you may not know this, but I was a contractor for nine years. Yeah, it, you should be really impressed. What that means is that I had a really good list of subs, and uh, I, I could call them, and they would come and do the work, and if they didn't do the work well, then I would move to the next list, um, or next name on, on the list. But one of the things that, that I discovered early on, in fact, right before I went off to college, I was working for a builder. We were framing houses. And, and I decided really quickly that if the architect had to build the house, the house would look a lot differently. All of the rooms would be either 8 or 16 foot or some multiple in length so that you wouldn't have to cut the sheetrock. Um, they would be 8 or, or, or uh, uh, actually 4, actually you don't want a 4 foot high ceiling, do you? So they would be 8 foot high or, or some multiple of 4 in the ceilings again so you wouldn't have to cut the sheetrock. The roofs, would, would, they wouldn't be flat, but they would just be like this so that you wouldn't have to cut any valleys or you only had one ridge that you'd have to do. And y'all don't think that's funny. Apparently, you never worked in construction. Um, they would look vastly different. Um, and so, so we're coming now, we're in a series in First Timothy. You can turn to chapter 3 there in, in your Bibles or get there in your device. Oh, by the way, if you have the version Bible on your phone or iPad or whatever it is you have, um, you can go there and, and the notes are on that. You can just go to events and, and uh, you can find that one here. I'm stalling while I try to do that because I can't do more than one thing at a time. So anyways, um, uh, we're, we're in this series and the title of this series is called Blueprint, God's Design for the Church. Now here's what is cool. You see, in, in this context, the one who designed it is the one who builds it. Now, is that cool? Does that make sense? Uh, some of you guys need to go build a house so that you can know what I was talking about earlier. Um, be the builder that has to cut the funky angles that the architect thought looked neat and all these kinds of things. But in this case, when, when, God, when God designed the church, when God designed what it was going to look like for us in the body of Christ, believers... He is the one. You remember that thing Jesus said to Peter? He said, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus is the one who builds it. So the one who designed it is the one who builds it for us. And so we began uh, a few weeks ago kind of leading up to this. We're talking about Paul, this is the apostle, and he's writing Timothy, who is a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so this is kind of cool. We, we, uh, it's kind of cool for me. Uh, as pastors, when you get um, somebody who's the pastor of pastors giving instruction to another pastor, you tend to pay a, pay a bit of attention. So the Apostle Paul's doing this for the church, and we know uh, that, that when I say God's design for the church or a blueprint, blueprint for the church, our God is a God of variety. He is ultimately creative. He, is, he, he created everything that is, even the things that we can't see, and so there's no two churches that are the same. You can try it. In fact, we have two services, and even though I preach from the same notes, there's no two services that are the same. So we're not saying that it's cookie-cutter church, not that kind of thing at all. But God has given um, plans. He has given design for the church. And so when Paul is writing this to Timothy, um, one of the first things that he does, he gets to this, he, he starts it at about mid-chapter 2, and he's leading up to this. And then in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about really two offices, what we would call as, as Baptist offices of the church. And that would be the guy that we call the pastor, 
and then the guy that we call the deacon. And so the pastor, uh, one of the things we talked about last week or week before, I, I forget, uh, is that, that there are three words that are used in here. Um, one is elder, and I'm more elder than I used to be. Uh, we've been here going on 15 years now. I was 10 when I started. Yeah, wish I would have settled for being 16, maybe. Um, and and so so elders, that's that's one guy. And then uh, Paul calls here that same guy overseer. And then there's another word uh, that we we call pastor. It's the same guy, always in Scripture. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I know denominations may use uh, the word elder and, and um, uh, overseer. The other word for that is bishop. Um, so you can call me Bishop L.H. Evans if you want. It doesn't quite go as Bishop T.D. Jakes. I don't, it just doesn't sound good. But it's the same guy, always in Scripture, even though I know in denominations we call them different things. Scripture never, ever, ever in the New Testament talks about him as anything different. Now, Elder is actually a carryover from the synagogue. There were elders in the synagogue. Occasionally you'll see that. But here, um, as Paul begins talking to Timothy about this, what he does, and, and what we talked about last week, is he lays out the qualifications for the elder. And, and last week, if you'll remember, we went through that, and man, every time I read through those, it, it, it makes me a little bit fearful, because those are some pretty high qualifications and, and even uh, when, when I preach them, I look at when I talk with guys, you know, they, they say, man, those are, those are hard. One of the qualifications for the elder is that his kids have to be, he talks about it actually in Titus, that they, they should be believers, that they should be obedient and submissive. And whenever I say that in a group of guys, I can just visually see, brother, they're reaching in and they're pulling the, the chute, you know, psh, there's the ejection seat and they're like, no, that, that's hard. And, and we talked about, we ended last week with uh, two things. One is that, that it, there's no perfect person. And it's not saying that there's any pastor that's perfect or there's any pastor kids that are perfect. And so we ended with, because the qualifications are so high, that I encouraged you to pray for your pastor and for his family daily. And, and I say that knowing that many of you are guests here and, and that you go to other churches. So, so pray for that. You're welcome to pray for me and my family too. Pray for your pastor and his family every day. The qualifications are high. And then Paul ends in verse 7 of, of this section, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. He ends with this, and, and it seems like such a small thing, but I know it's not. It's a big thing. He says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We don't, we don't have broadcast TV anymore, and I don't miss it, but we do still hear all the time about guys who disqualify themselves from being a pastor. Pray for your pastor. The qualifications are high. And, and you may be like me, when you, when you first read through something like that in Scripture, you say, why, why are the qualifications so high for this guy? Well, I believe it's because of what God has called him to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to look at the, the duties of the elder, the duties of this pastor-overseer kind of guy. And it may be a little bit uncomfortable conversation at times. That's all right. Just stick with me. Um, uh, I, I get to preach this twice, and so I, I get feedback in between. And, and one, of the, one of the feedback that I got, and, and the guy meant it really uh, well, he said, you did a good job of patting yourself on the back today. And I said, oh, no, no, that's not what I was trying to do. He goes, no, no, 
you preached a hard message for a pastor to preach. And so some of you may know this feels a little bit weird for me, but uh, to get someone else to come up and preach this might be a little bit odd too. Now you're really worried. Good, I got your attention. 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's begin in verse 1. We'll read through those again. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if one does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, a snare of the devil. So what are the duties? Well, first of all, let's back up just a little bit. Uh, let's, let's pick of those three things uh, that we said that this guy is called. And, and, and let's just assume that the, that the word elder is the title. And, and that'll, that'll be the way that I refer to it here. It, 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 Paul refers to him here as overseer. In Titus, he calls him an elder. Most of the time, he's called an elder whenever it's talking about somebody. We'll see that in some passages. So the title is an elder. And... and I don't know about you guys, things change for me, you know, as I get a few steps down this road of life, and, and so your, your definitions for things change. Let me, let me give you an example. When I was little, every snake was a grass snake unless I found out the difference. Now that I'm a few steps down the road, every snake is a rattlesnake, and I'm not going to hang around to find out. I'm just saying, you know. When I was little... Um, unless there was a foot of water in the road, it was just sprinkling. Mom said, it's raining. No, no, Mom, it's just sprinkling. So now when I feel water, I see it's raining, and I'm going to get inside. So it's that way, too, with age. When he says elder here, you know, so what, what is an elder? Well, be, you know, old, I heard that. Um, <laughs> um, well, old is 10 years older than I am. See, that, that's the way that works. What's young? What's 10 years younger than I am? Um, what's somewhere in between? Well, I got a 20, 20 age, 20 year span where you're about the same age that I am, I guess. So he says elder here, and these generally were the ones that were considered the older, the more mature. But for our sake, we're, we're just going to use that as the title. I know in Baptist churches, we call this guy the pastor, but we're going to look at that in a little bit different way this morning. So the title is elder. The duties, I believe, are described in the next two words. Paul uses the word overseer here with Timothy. And, and really, that ought to be just self-descriptive, isn't it? What does an overseer do? Help me out. He oversees. There you go. Boy, you guys are good. When we get the deacon, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, so what does an overseer do? He oversees, but, but really the idea behind this word is he governs. And there are two words uh, really in here. It's the same word in the Greek, but in English, uh, our translations translated a little bit differently. Uh, two words in here under, under this idea of governing that helps us understand this a little bit more. The first one is rule. Now I know, um, don't go out and get a t-shirt that say elders rule, you, you know, that that, that might sound young and hip, right? That elders rule. That, no. Um, 
Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule be considered of double honor. So what he's talking about here, really, these elders, the idea behind overseeing or giving oversight is one of rule, and we don't like that word, do we? No? Is there a ruler in your home? Some of you, that's 12 inches long. Not that kind. We don't like that word, but stick with me just a minute. Um, Paul uses this same word, and it comes across in English because it's a little bit differently. Paul was a really smart man. So in this case, he talks about the elders ruling, but then he uses the same word, but in a softer sense, because he's going to talk about it in the home. In 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, he says this uh, about this guy. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That word manage is the same word that we get as rule later on in 1 Timothy. So the idea is this, that in this this duty of governing, governing, ruling, (laughs) in, in that duty, of overseer in, in that he gives he governs, it's the idea that he manages it. He gives oversight to it. He makes sure that it functions well. Does that make sense to you? And, and Paul relates that, that. That's why he even tells us that's, that's why one of the qualifications for the elder is that he has to manage his own household well. And, and that makes sense to us when we think about it, doesn't it? Um, for example, let's say you owned a company, and you had a guy, and he had three employees that he couldn't handle. Would you put him in charge of 100? No. If the three employees that he managed didn't respect him and didn't follow him and they weren't um, obedient or didn't do what he said to do, would you think that he would do well over 100 people? No, we wouldn't. That's the idea Paul's giving here. And that's because, I know I told you it was going to get a little uncomfortable in some places here, and guys, don't go home and say, I am the ruler in our home. Um, two things you never want to test. One is that the pedestrian always has the right of way. It's true. I wouldn't test it. The other one is the, hand, the man is the head of the house. But don't, don't put it to the test when you go home. So, so the idea here is that this pastor, this elder guy, I keep using the word pastor because that's what we use. But this elder guy that his job, his duty, is to give oversight. He oversees it. He supervises it. He manages it. He is the one, this is going to sound weird in a Baptist church, because our polity, that is our church form of governing, is congregational, isn't it? And it is, and I'm not saying we change that. But the idea behind it is this guy is the one who's in charge. I told you this is a really weird message for me to be the one to preach. But I just want us to look at Scripture. That's the idea. That's what he's saying here. We'll talk about what that means because some of you are getting worried. You're like, we've got a business meeting after this, right? <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying, hold on. Don't, don't, don't check out yet. So the first one is overseer. He's referred to as the overseer. That is, he governs. He gives oversight. He manages. He's the guy who's in charge. The other term that's used is one that we think of a whole lot more, and that's pastor. The the word pastor, actually there's only one place in Scripture that I can find that this is used as maybe kind of as a title for the guy. 
all of the rest of the time that I can see, it's a function that this guy does. So the pastor, literally, it's just the shepherd. The word pastor comes through a weird way through Latin, and that's where we get that word. But in, in the Greek, it's the word for shepherd. He's the shepherd. In Ephesians 4.11, this is the one place I found that it, it refers kind of as a title. He's talking about God in the church, and he says, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, so the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. So, so another function that this guy has is to shepherd. And, and there are three words in here. I love, was that thunder? We're going to pretend like it was. I, I love when it thunders during the message. We're going to pretend. Um, and if it rains, that's all right. We have umbrellas when, when you leave. Or we can wait it out, right? Double service. Anyways. Yeah, so, so shepherd, there's three words in here uh, that really help to flesh that out for us. The first one is that the shepherd feeds. Uh, we know that, right? The, the word there for us would be the shepherd teaches. In fact, uh, when, when Paul mentions this in Ephesians, he says the shepherds, are, or that is the pastors and teachers, and preaching and teaching always go together when it's referring to this guy. Um, the, the cool thing is, uh, when, when we get to it, uh, a lot of times it's really, when Paul talks about it to Timothy, that those who labor in preaching and teaching, that is labor who in the word and teaching. So that helps us to see that that goes together. Those are always together. So, so this guy teaches. One of the primary roles that this guy has is to teach. We see it in 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and teaching. Right? And then it says in first in not first Titus, I did that earlier too. If your Bible has more than if it has a second Titus, throw it away. We'll get you another one. In Titus chapter one, verse nine, it says, He must hold fast to the trustworthy word is taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now I know that in other denominations, you know, we have Fun. Uh, I get to talk because I, I have I have brothers friends who are in other denominations, and so we get to talk about these things. and And some of them, even some Baptist churches, have pastors, and then they have elders. And you know, we say, "Hey, that's cool. Why do you call them two different names?" Because the Bible says the same. And and so here's one. Um, what, something that I've heard in our denomination and others is they they say he has to be able to teach, but he doesn't have to teach. And that, that's hard for me to see in the Scripture. Because why would it go into, why would it be so clear that that is the, one of the main qualifications is he has to be able to teach. Why, if he's not going to teach? The reason is because he teaches. The shepherd feeds the flock. He has to be able to do that. And then we get this wonderful picture uh, in, in John chapter 21, this is, we know the story of Peter. He denied Jesus three times. And then after the resurrection, they're just funny. That Peter before the Holy Spirit's a whole different Peter than the one after the Holy Spirit. And so they, it's kind of like they didn't know what to do. So they went back to fishing like they always did. Jesus shows up, they're fishing. And he says, hey, throw it on the other side. You know, and they do, and they catch a bunch of fish. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's Jesus, you know. So they come back, and there's this really cool, tender moment. You guys know the story. And Jesus is, is there, they're, they're eating fish. Um, we're going to have pancakes and fish on vacation, I know we are. I'm just saying, because they had fish for breakfast, that's it. I want to be like Jesus. 
Anyways, um, and so they're having they they eat some fish for breakfast, and they're 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 hanging out. Um, the Bible word for that is reclining. They actually did recline, and and Jesus does something really cool for Peter. I, I see it as his reaffirming Peter in ministry because if if I was Peter, I would have pretty well counted myself out, and I think he did. And, and Jesus, you know the story. Jesus says, "Peter, do you love me more than these?" And I think he pointed to the disciples. I am shocked, because this is pre-Holy Spirit Peter. I'm shocked that he didn't say, well, I love you more than that one and that one for sure. Um, but, but Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And, and Peter said, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Your translation may say tend my sheep, but it comes from the word for, for care for. Tend my sheep, feed them. Peter, feed my sheep. And then a little bit later, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, shepherd my sheep. The, the same word that's used for pastor. Shepherd my sheep. And then a little bit later, three times, and I really think that he was restoring Peter each time, helping Peter understand, you are one of my shepherds. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, I just, I just see him. He's broken. You know everything. God, you know my heart. You know that I love you. And he says, he goes back to the first word. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. So one of the main responsibilities I believe as shepherd is to teach, to feed the sheep. If ever I had a young guy who came and said, Pastor Larry, I believe God's calling me into the ministry, and, but man, I, I just can't, I have trouble reading the Bible. I just can't get into it. I'd say, you better go find something else to do. You know, I, first of all, I, I've had guys come to me and, you know, Pastor, Larry, you know, I, and I say, read this book. Oh, I don't like to read. Well, then you're not going to like being a pastor. Um, you know, if they said, you know, Pastor, Larry, I, I want to be a, a, a pastor, but, but man, I, I just, I, I just don't really like to teach. I'd tell him, you better go find something else to do. Because one of the main responsibilities of the pastor, the shepherd is to teach. It's to feed the sheep. And then we get to uh, get to the other one that's... This is really a lot of what we think of when we think of shepherd, and that is to care for the sheep. When Paul is writing uh, Timothy, it's, it's cool that he uses the same word, manage, rule. He uses that for that's the qualification. And, and then he, he picks another word that's kind of interchangeable, but he gets to the care part. He says, for how can someone care for God's church if they can't manage their own household? And, and I think what Paul's doing is really kind of fleshing that out a little bit. That, that the, pastor's, the pastor's job is the care, and we see it, uh, again, in this, this, this wonderful picture of Jesus and Peter, as, as, as he says, Peter, I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to care for them. I want you to, to feed them. And that's a lot of what he's called to do. It, it doesn't mean that he's the only one that can do this, but it means that he's responsible. For this, but that he that he 
He makes sure that they're okay. And that's hard. The bigger the church, the more you need people to do that. But he makes sure that they're okay. And then, then the last one is, and, and this, this is again under the, the word shepherd, is that he protects the sheep. Um, and some of you are looking like, well, I hope the guy coming is not real big. Don't worry, we got big guys in the church. <laughs> um, but think about it. Uh, think about this, this idea of a shepherd. And, and oftentimes, um, th- this isn't what I recommend for a church, but oftentimes you, the, the flock, they, they go out and there's one shepherd. And if he doesn't protect the sheep from the wolves, no one else does. If he doesn't protect them from the lions, no one else does. And if he doesn't protect them from the bears, then oh my, because lions and tigers, anyways. Um, you, you remember the story, you remember the story with, with David? Um, uh, Y'all know it. Uh, David uh, goes, he's a shepherd for his dad, and he goes to the battle where his brothers are, and there's this big dude named Goliath, and, and, and he's taunting the, the nation, the army of Israel, and really taunting God too. And, and David's like, somebody do something about that. And they're like, nah, you know, we're not going to. And David said, well, I will. And, and I don't think David was a big strapping kind of guy. In fact, you, you really get the opposite because it says, man looks on the outside and they wouldn't have counted David, but God sees what's in the heart, right? That's why they chose Saul. But David, I, I think was a little guy and David says, I'll do it. I'll stand up. And, and they basically, very kindly, by the way, said, and just what are your qualifications? And David said, hey, look, I take care of my father's sheep. And it's just me. When the lion comes, when the bear comes, I have to protect the sheep from them. That's the idea that you get with the shepherd. Now, now here's what. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, and he's writing to the elders in Ephesus. This is Acts chapter 20, and he's, Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem for the last time, so he's calling them all together, and he's kind of giving the elders, the pastors there, this final charge. Here's what he says, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And then the Apostle Paul makes sure that they understand what he's talking about here. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. This word here, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It says, pay careful attention. That word in the New American Standard, I like the way it translates it. It says, be on guard. Be on guard. Protect the flock. Because, listen, Paul's saying this to the, to the pastors. Listen, I know after I go, there are going to be wolves that come in, and you guys are going to have to be the ones who take care of them. So what does the pastor protect the, the church from? He protects the church from false teaching. He protects the church from dissension. He protects the, the, the church from um, good grief. It's hard not to be as young as I used to be. There's a word that went right out of my head. Disunity. There's another word for that, but I'll make up my own. Um, dissension that's the word I was looking for and he has he has to do that that doesn't mean he's the only one but he's the one who's going to be responsible can you imagine uh, um, I've not been around sheep although one summer my dad got a hold of a couple of Barbary sheep in Euless, Texas, right in the heart of the Metroplex, we had sheep in our backyard. 
didn't have to mow at all that summer. Only had to spread the fertilizer, if you get my meaning. Um, that was the greenest that lawn ever was. Anyways, never been around sheep a whole lot. But, but can you imagine a shepherd out in the wilderness alone with his sheep who just lets the wolves come in? Let, let's them take one. Well, they only got one. Just let them carry them off. Especially if the wolves come in the middle and, and just kind of hang out for a while. The pastor's the one who protects. And that's why occasionally we might have to say, hmm, we're not going to teach that. that. That's not exactly true. I, I know, I know people like that, but yeah, we're, we're not going to go there. That's, that's contrary to what God's word says. So he, he feeds, he protects, he cares. I love what Peter says. Peter says in chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, So I exhort the elders among you, and Peter considered himself to be an elder, he said, as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples for the flock. Here's the cool thing. In verse 2, when Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you, same word Jesus used for him when he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. He's saying, Peter, shepherd my flock. And so Peter says, look, what I receive from Jesus, I'm going to give to you guys as a fellow shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God among you. And because of the duties of this guy, um, um, there are some high qualifications. And, and here's what Peter says to these guys who were in charge. Um, for those of you listening online, I did the little air quotes for you. Um, the guy's in charge. He said, not domineering. examples for the flock so so here's the the big idea the duties of the elder are to govern and shepherd the church if you just want to summarize it the duties of the elder are to govern and shepherd the church and there's no one else that i can see in scripture that god has given that responsibility to and i know what you're saying some of you are looking and said, I don't know, because you can get kind of weird. <laughs> I'll say two things. Three, actually. One, you're right. <laughs> two, I think it's healthiest to have more than one of these guys in a church. I think that's the biblical model. Um, but you've got to be careful when you do that. But then the last thing is look at the qualifications that he gives. Now, a good friend of mine, really wise pastor guy, um, as we were kind of talking about this whole thing, he said, Larry, here's what you need to know. Look back at Acts chapter 6. Y'all remember that, right? We always think of it as the, uh, the birth of the deacons. That sounds funny to say. Uh, when, when we get the deacons, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but 
But, but he said, look at what happens here. There's an issue in the early church. The church, it was probably five to 10,000 people at this point. And some of the widows were either being overlooked or at least the perception was that some of the widows were being overlooked. And it looked like a discrimination thing. The Jewish widows were taken care of. The Greek widows weren't. And so that, that became a big deal. And they came to the apostles who were also elders. Um, Paul calls himself and Peter calls himself. We know the others were, were in that, that role. They come to them and they bring the problem, the issue to them. Uh, no doubt they prayed about it and they came up with a solution. Their solution was this. They then went to the congregation and told the congregation to do something. They said, choose from among yourselves seven men. Then they gave the qualifications for the guy we know of as a deacon. And he said, Larry, don't miss. There's one little verse, one little a few words in here. Don't miss this part. Because pastor guys will immediately go, look, they tell the church what to do, and the church does it. And I know you're getting really scared. Don't forget, he said, not domineering over those in your church. But this good friend of mine, he says, Larry, look what the next, it says, and it found favor inside of the people. He said, you know what that tells me? That tells me that these pastors, these elders led. They were leading. They weren't telling they were leading. And so it means that they led them because it says it found favor in the sight of the people. And then the people did what they said. But we can't get away from the fact that the duties of the elder are to govern and shepherd the church. The bottom line is this. God has given elders charge over the church. That's weird, isn't it? When I first came, because we're congregation... The way that our denomination puts it is that we're pastor-led, but we're, we're congregationally governed, is kind of the thought. Um, and, and, and so when I first came, uh, we were a church of about 40 uh, throughout the winter, and then we'd bump up in the summertime. And, and, and I remember distinctly, and, and I used to feel bad because the, the guy who brought this, the, the motion uh, was still in our church. Neat guy, good friend. Um, but I remember distinctly, it might have been my first business meeting, and we're just going along, you know, like you do. And they, they took long, and so we'd have to feed people to stay. Um, we, we shortened them a bit. But, but, but it came up, and, and I am not making this up. I don't have to because real life is far more interesting. Somebody said, I make a motion. See, what, what had happened was that there was a toilet seat that was broken in the fellowship hall. And somebody said, I make a motion that we replace the toilet seat. And I nearly fell out of my chair thinking, what if it doesn't pass? <laughs> so we say this. <laughs> the congregation makes some decisions. There are some decisions that, that we spelled out. And we say the congregation, and, and again, that goes back to what my buddy pointed out to me, that, that the, the pastors lead, the pastors govern, but they have to lead there, there are some things that the church votes on. There are some things that we together, I, I like the, the way uh, Kurt said this one time, because it was in a conversation, he said, he said really, they're just affirming what it is uh, that the leadership is recommending. And, but, but we do that with, we, we do that with some of the personnel that we call, pastor, uh, we, we do that with our budget, we do that with the, the cell we have to, 
for the legal stuff, the sale of land and, and stuff like that. So there's some decisions that we decide, but let, can I just tell you, you can just know when the toilet breaks, we're going to fix it. We're not going to vote on it. <laughs> um, we're just going to fix it. Um, we may vote on who has to do it. I don't know. <laughs> There's some things that we vote on. There's some things that we don't. Uh, the, the day-to-day operations are, are you know, we, we have guidelines that we go on, and, and those we just do. And, and as, as your, your pastor, your elder, although some of you are more elder than I, <laughs> elder is 10 years older than me, did I mention that? Some of you are younger than I too, so that works. As your pastor, I understand that I am the one. I am the one that Jesus is going to come to to give an account for this church. That brings us to the application. The first one is, and, and I know some of you uh, go to other churches, and so this is, this is for you and your pastor. First, listen to them. And you're like, well, I have to every Sunday because he just talks and talks. <laughs> I'm not, I don't mean that kind of listen. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you, that's the oversight, overseer, in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Here's what that means. It means give credence to what they say. And I know, I know I'm a regular guy, and you guys, uh, those of you who had a chance to hang out with me, I mean, I love to tease and kid, and, and we do all that. I know, I know that I'm a regular guy, but I understand that in this call that God has given me as a church, that there's a difference in there. And, and so what I'm saying is, pastors, give credence. When, when your pastor, and whether it's this, your pastor, or your pastor where you live, when your pastor comes to you and says, you know, you really need to be careful. That's not a good idea. He, he probably agonized before he ever came to you because we take great risk when we do stuff like that. Um, because you guys just aren't members here. You're also my friends. Who likes to lose friends, right? <laughs> when, when he comes to you, and says, you know, this is really where you need to be heading. And you guys who know me know that like, that is very rare that I would say anything. But what I'm saying is, give credence to what they say. Hold what they say w- with the level of authority that God has given them. Knowing that they're called not to be domineering. I, I want to keep saying that for you. Listen to them. The second one is maybe a little bit harder. Submit to them. And you're going, I knew we were going to go there eventually. (laughs) Remember the qualifications. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Any pastor that that doesn't weigh heavily on doesn't understand what that's saying. That someday, the great shepherd, Jesus, is going to come to me, the under-shepherd. This is not my flock. This is Jesus' 
flock. And I'm, I'm a shepherd that's given charge over this flock for the shepherd who owns the flock. And someday he's going to come back and I am going to stand face to face before him and give an account for his flock. That's huge. The true, the true test of submitting is when you disagree. You ever do that? Um, you do it with your spouse if you're married. <laughs> let's go eat ice cream. Yeah, let's go eat. That usually works pretty well. Let's go eat sushi. Oh, I don't like sushi. Now, now, you've got a, now you've got a problem. Well, you don't have a problem. You have a challenge. You have an opportunity to grow. Um, <laughs> for sanctification. So let me say this, and I know this sounds odd, me saying it to you about me, or your pastor or wherever you go. If it's a matter of doctrine or theology, then you need to wrestle with that. If, if your pastor says something to you that you don't believe the word is saying, you need to wrestle with that. You need to go and talk with him and maybe... By the way, 99.999% of the people that I know that's left the church was not over doctrine. <laughs> Sometimes it happens, but that's really rare. But if it is, go and talk with them. Maybe you misunderstood. Maybe he misunderstood. There's no perfect pastor, remember? They're prayed for pastors, but they're no perfect ones. In matters of doctrine or theology, you wrestle with that. But in matters of preference... Doesn't mean you can't talk about it. We have a church leadership team. We call it the church council. We, we have open business meetings where you come and, and we get to discuss because leading is doing that. But when it comes to preferences, when you get to the end, submitting says, I willingly put myself under the authority that God has given you whether that's children for parents, whether it's us for the, uh, our law enforcement officers, or our best example is whether it's Jesus or the Father. He who didn't think it robbery to be equal with God became obedient. <laughs> obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Here's what that says. Jesus is God, the Son, equal with God. And Jesus said, I will, I will willingly submit to the will of my Father. And we see that played out in the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? When Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, knowing what lay ahead for him, and not only the physical punishment, although that would have been enough for us, but also that he who knew no sin would become sin for us. Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. And then we see this beautiful picture of submission. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here's, here's where all that starts, and it starts at the same place for every one of us. It starts with us submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I know that's hard. Some of you are thinking, oh, I thought this was going to be about you, not me. 
It's always about us. That we begin with submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. And so as we, as we close today, let me challenge you to do this. Let me challenge you to, to pray a brave prayer. Uh, we're, we're going to take the Lord's Supper uh, communion together. And if, you, if you're a believer and you've made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us. But let me challenge you as, as we enter this time of reflection and, and a time of response for you to pray this prayer. Jesus, is there any area of my life that I've not submitted to you? Some of you are saying, I don't want to pray that. That's why I, it's a challenge. I'm a, what if he says, what if I have to give up? What if I have to surrender? That's where it starts. We have to begin by submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And maybe, I don't know, maybe there's someone here today that's never done that. Maybe, maybe your friend said they would buy you a meal if you came to church with them. They'd take you to Mad Jack's and wait in line for an hour. and <laughs> Call in ahead of time if you're smart. I don't know if they do that. Don't take, don't take that. Maybe you've never come to the place that you said, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Now, some of you may have come to the place where you, you said, the whole forgiveness of sin thing, I'm all for that. Maybe you've not done that either, and today you just need to say, Jesus, I, I just need you to forgive me of my sin, and I want you to be Lord. There's another word for that, and, and I loved it. I got to lead a little, little guy to Christ at one of our camps, and and, and I said, do you want Jesus to be your boss? And he said, yeah. And so that was beautiful prayer from a, a little bitty guy. Jesus, I want you to be my boss. And after he prayed, I said, do you know there are a lot of adults that struggle with what you just prayed? I want you to be my boss. Lord sounds like something way out there, but Jesus, I want you to be my boss. I want you to tell me what to do. And maybe today that's just what you need to surrender to him. And I know, I know, because it's all about faith, it's all about trust. But what if, what if, what if? That's why, that's why you just, it's called surrender. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll enter a time and use this time of, as reflection and response. Lord, it's hard for us to surrender. It just is. It's hard for us to surrender to human authority. And, and sometimes maybe we can understand that. We've been hurt by people. But Jesus, sometimes it's even hard for us to yield to your authority. So today, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would work in our hearts. That if there's someone here who hasn't yielded to, to your authority, Jesus, that today that, that they would say that, they would say, Jesus, I submit to your authority as Lord, as boss of my life. And you get to say whatever I do in every area. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the boldness to pray that prayer. And God, if there's anybody here who's never come to the place where they've trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be that day. That you would draw them to you and that they would come and submit to your Lordship, receive the free gift of forgiveness of eternal life that you give us. Today would be the day when they get to call Jesus Lord and truly mean it. 
as we enter a time, Lord, where we uh, take Lord's Supper, as we commune with you and with one another, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and give us the courage and the boldness to respond. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.